This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to talk about the defense today against the Washington Commanders. Still still seems funny to say that, but uh, uh, that's probably going to happen. I'll probably be calling them the Redskins until I'm in my 90s. But uh, the Commanders today, uh, or on Saturday, uh, outplayed the Ravens in a lot of ways. And uh, we're here to discuss what happened defensively in a, in a very long night uh, for the Ravens defense. Here to do that with me is Josh Reed. Josh, how you doing? I'm doing great, Ken. How are you doing tonight? Oh, 
I, I'm doing fine. We're on Alaska time, but Josh, you're out there living the dream as a uh, as a Anchorage Star, correct, a reporter, or do I have the paper on? Uh, Anchorage Daily News. Anchorage Daily News. Okay. Uh, but uh, great to have you on again, man, and uh, always fun to talk football with you. So let's talk a little bit about this game. A very weird one, and you go through this 23-game winning streak, and you see a game like the other night, and my immediate reaction to, this is the worst game they have played during this streak. You know, they rushed, the running backs rushed 11 times for 13 yards. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they basically, nice <laughs> plays in the passing game. But yeah, tell me your thoughts. Yeah, yeah, for sure. This is definitely... um. Not, not, I guess, the same level of dominance that we're used to seeing from this team during the, during this win streak, and you know, really during the preseason o- overall. And um, it's just, um, it was, it was, it was a little foreign to me. Um, but like, like, you know, I couldn't even watch the game live because um, I had a high school football game to cover, and I was mm-hmm. like, like, I was getting updates on my phone and checking Twitter constantly in between plays at the high school game I was covering. But when I finally got home and got to, you know, watch it, like, you know, watch it, watch the recording, I got the NFL Plus thing, and I was just like, oh, this is. This is a, this is not good. <laughs> I was like, you know, I'm glad we got the win, and you know, people on Twitter are like, uh, you put people back, put people back, put people back in, so we can keep the streak alive. But um, yeah, it wasn't the best quality Raven football that I've definitely seen during the streak. But um, you know, a win is a win is a win. As I always hear from coaches. Yeah, it's uh, you know, one of the things you I, I looked back at the previous 22 wins. And one of the things I found is there's a whole lot of ugly in there. It's preseason football. So preseason football is by its nature pretty darn ugly. But they've had a whole bunch of um, wins decided by failed two-point conversions, including the granddaddy of them all, the second win of the entire streak. Uh, The Colts went up by, uh, scored the going ahead touchdown with 3.54 to play. They led by a point then. They lined up for a two-point try since they wanted to go up by three, a full field goal. And lo and behold, Anthony Levine intercepted the football, took it, raced it the other way, the entire distance of the field, to give the Ravens the lead back on the extra point attempt, 19 to 18. The Ravens then received the football and were able to get the game over with. So uh, the, the, the Colts did have a 62-yard try as time ran out. But that'll, that'll hold the record for weird, even with this game. And all that was odd about it. And you look at it, there's really nine games in the streak where they had, you know, just weird things happen that ended up leading to the win. Yeah, I remember that Anthony Levine play so vividly. And I was just like, there's no way. There's no and, uh, it, it, It's crazy because I remember Eric Berry making a similar play like that. I think it was against the Saints a few years back. And I was just like, you know, like the, like the, no, I think it was against the Falcons. Anyways, but it was like the odds of something like that happening is just like, you know, astonishing to me. And then for it to be the for the worth of two points instead of, you know, an actual touchdown or whatever was was wild. But um yeah, this definitely will go down as, as definitely one of the ugliest wins of the streak. And like I said, I'm I'm glad they got the win. Um, but um it was like I said, it was a, a strange sight to behold. Yeah, a very very odd one and uh you know, very unravens like, but they were out snapped in this game offensively seventy to thirty seven. Now, first of all, I don't believe the Ravens have ever held anyone below 39 snaps in a game. And and they did that to the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoff game, if I recall correctly, in 2010. But I I don't think they've ever held anyone lower than that. And I I, I would have to look back to see if there's been any individual games. The 98 Vikings game comes to mind 
one where they were held in the 30s on snap count or this badly outsnapped. Uh, but I don't think, I do not believe it's ever happened to the Ravens preseason or regular season. So to see that happen is just extraordinary. Yeah, the commander dominated time possession by like, I think almost or over 20 minutes. And then they outgained the Ravens by like 86 yards. I think it was like 388 to 302 for the Ravens. And the mm-hmm. Ravens only had like, I think less than 20 yards rushing the entire game. So I know we're not here to talk about offense, but it was just, you know, like on when you look at the set, when like you look at the box score and and, and and the yardage totals, you think that Washington won the day. But you know the Ravens defense came with some with some timely stops, and the offense came up with some explosive plays that really kind of kept them alive in this game and kept the streak alive. Yeah, they did, and uh, you know the, also the Redskins, the Redskins. The, that will not be the last time that'll happen. The Commanders got penalized a lot in this game. One of the things they didn't have a whole lot of drive stalling penalties, so the one really long drive they had. Um, they had, I don't know, four penalties in it or something. A couple of offensive pass interferences, a couple of holdings, and they still didn't get stalled on the on that on that drive. And they might have, they might have been held to a field goal. So I, I'm not going to say they didn't get stalled at any point, but the penalties weren't the reason for it uh, uh, for it happening, as I as I'm recalling it. Um, what was weird about that is it's really plays and not time of possession that wears out the defense. Okay, because if it's 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 how many consecutive snaps do you really have to play uh, on the defensive line in particular, which is a rotational area? Um, if you have to play a lot of snaps consecutively, that's very bad. And and the the offensive penalties that the Commanders had in this game uh, were actually just creating additional plays that the defense still has to try on. They're still high. They're still high effort, but then they you know, are, are still on the field because they're still able to convert this, these first and 20 situations. Yeah. It was the weirdest, it was the weirdest thing to see. Like you'd be like, okay, you know, you got them backed up down in distance, but then you let them chip away at that, at that big yardage mark, uh, you know, down in distance. And before you know it, the drive is still going. Then you got the same defensive two or three defensive alignment out there for most of the drive. Yep. It's, it's certainly what they had. Definitely something we want to talk about also is how the Ravens manage their personnel in this game, because they they started they tried to get through this game as I count it with only forty four players now that excludes the specialists but I just looked at the at the count in of, of players who played but then when you think about forty four players and then you add three specialists you're at forty seven and you only get forty eight for a regular season NFL game so that doesn't seem that bad but then you realize all the management of snaps that they're doing so they had Urban and Matabike and James and Linderbaum and McCary, and they were all playing very tight snap counts. And, you know, they were out of there in the first three series of the game. So, uh, you know, it, it, those guys, it's it's almost as if they weren't available for the game. Yeah, I was surprised to see Matabike out there. Um, I was just like, why? Yeah. I mean, he's only going to be in there for like, 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 like I said, a series or two. But that's like, yeah. to me, it was like a waste of a roster spot, especially in the last preseason game. Yeah, it's it it seemed uh, like highly risky with Matabike, but then what with what happened to the to the defensive line? It's it was a uh, uh, you know it was a risk. Maybe they would have had to take with somebody. Broderick Washington, you know, they tried to retire him from the game, and that's kind of the next group of the of the the players who retire from the game. Once they seem to go to the sidelines, certainly at halftime, they often take their pads off and come out with with, with no shell in the second half. Even if they're retired in the second half, they they you know they they may still um, take their pads off at that point. I, I they may they may not. I'm I'm not actually 100 percent of that. But the Stevens retired. Jefferson 
uh, Demarcus Robinson, Huntley, Davis, and Hill all retired. I mean, those are six guys that they couldn't play against. So all of a sudden now, you're not playing the game with 44 anymore. You're playing the game with 33 now. And, you know, it becomes a lot more dicey to get through and fill your 22 spots. Yeah, and I don't know if you've been keeping up with with Hard Knocks with the Detroit Lions, but um, Dan Campbell has, like, a rule of his with the Lions where, like, nobody, like, even if you're not, you know, supposed to play in this game, nobody takes their pads off. You know, you got to be engaged. You got to, you got to, you got to stay in there. Great rule. Stay, stay in there and stay engaged with the game. Because, you never. he told a story about how when he was, because, uh, you know, he used to be a former player. He had told a story about how when he was with the Cowboys, it was him and Jason Witten. And even though he was the season pro, but Jason Witten had already established himself as like you know the tight end, and they had they were down to like no tight ends, and they were both already had their pads off, and we're not, not going to send Witten back in the game, so he had to throw his pads back on and get back in the game, and he luckily he didn't get injured, but that for his rule of thumb when he's the coach now, like even if you're not slated to be in this game, everybody stays in pads, everybody stays engaged because you never know when we're going to run out of guys. Yeah, that's 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 a good rule, and it's it's non-discriminatory. So it's good. And, and I, there's probably a few star players who would want the same treatment as other players in the league get. But too bad. You know, we you know, we, we're a family here and you're all wearing pads kind of thing. I like it. Uh, Dan Campbell may not be the greatest, <laughs> greatest clock management guy, but uh, that's a good move. Nope. Uh, <laughs> uh, then they then they had the injuries pile up, of course. And uh, Broderick Washington was another guy. They, they tried to retire, but they couldn't get him out. But uh, the injury to Crawford was very serious in terms of uh, him not being able to return to the game, and may in fact be serious for him not being able to get back on the field for a while this season. So we don't we don't know about that uh, yet. And then that left them with basically two defensive linemen plus Broderick Washington if they wanted to bring him back in. And those guys, Rashad, Rashad Nichols, Rashad Nichols, and and uh, um, uh, Mac Isaiah Mac had to play basically the entire second half, and that's a ton of consecutive plays for the lineman play. Forty nine and forty two snaps is which is what Mac and Nichols played respectively is a lot for linemen, but. It's the problem is playing them all in these long streaks. And you, you get gassed as a defensive lineman. It's a rotational position. And Max still had an amazing game given that number of snaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they both really had pretty good games to me. And I, I love the hustle I saw from Nichols. I mean, there were some times where he like had a great backside pursuit or was chasing a ball carrier or the quarterback downfield for and mm-hmm. limited limited some of their some of their gains to what could have been, you know, 10-plus yard gains or only like seven, eight-yard gains or even five or four-yard gains. Like I was really impressed by the hustle I saw from him. I'm like, well, that's some draft a free agent that's really trying to make this roster. And so, yeah, um, great yeah. point. Yeah, so I can try, try try to get good tape at a very minimum, but great tape. The pursuit I really noticed from Nichols as as being one of the real positives in this in this game. I think he made the most of his preseason experience. He didn't get hurt, and he and he played as well as he, he, anybody could reasonably hope. Yeah, he ended up leading the unit in tackles with eight, eight total tackles, including five solo. And you see that from defensive tackle. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, that that is unusual. Didn't Ross have eleven tackles in this game? I yeah, thought Ross he did. Yeah, Ross had he had eleven and and seven solo. You're saying the defensive line he led? Rashad yeah, yeah, he Nichols led. He had. led the unit, like oh. the defensive line unit. Yeah, and and that's a remarkable total, by the way, for a defensive line. Eight, eight is very rarely achieved in a, in an NFL game for yeah. a defensive line. I remember when with Brandon Williams had like what like eleven or twelve in one game last season, or, or was it? I can't. I think I forget. I remember he had like the, I think it was against the Browns. And, and mm-hmm. I think it was the Browns game that they either lost or the one that they won. And because um, I remember doing an Unsung Heroes uh, piece about it, and he just had like a monster game as far as like racking up the tackles. 
That that sounds familiar. I'm not I'm not remembering it specifically, but I I believe you on that. I think you're right. Um, the other one, the Haloti uh, Nada. If you look at his career, he didn't have that many eight tackle games in his entire career, and I've looked at that before. But the number I believe is still single digits, even for Nada with eight tackles. So uh, you know, it's not not a number that's often achieved. Anyway, it wasn't just the defensive line. The cornerbacks were also being taken off the field. So they took Brandon Stevens out. Uh, so, you know, he was a guy I mentioned is retired, which didn't seem like a big deal. And then Kayvon Seymour got hurt. So they had three guys who could play corner. They had Seymour, Ardarius Washington. No, Ardarius Washington moved to safety by this point. So they had Seymour, Vereen, and Worley at the end mm-hmm. of the game. And Seymour made that great play at the goal line uh, on the two-point conversion to knock the ball away. Good coverage. And then he got rolled on by McLean, which was, oh, that's so sorry to see at that point in the game. Yeah. At, at any at any point. But, you know, guy losing his, you know, season potentially over a, you know, unnecessary uh, rollover like that was is really bad. Yeah. And, like, like you, you know, you, you really got to feel for not just Seymour, but also McLean in that instance. Cause oh, yeah. He's trying to make a play, trying to, you know, get the tip, trying to corral the tip ball and ends up going on the back of his teammate's leg. And, and you never want to see that happen. And then especially when you're a guy who's already on the roster bubble, trying to kind of, for, no, not forced to make a play but you know just trying to make the most of an opportunity you know you see a ball up in the air and trying to get it but also just I, you know you really got to feel for that because then like you, you feel like oh man not only did i end my season by you know not making the play but also i ended this guy's season for you know by getting them hurt so yeah you, you could really see that on the broadcast just how upset he was about it he was distraught that he'd done that he, he knew oh boy what have i done kind of thing uh you know, the, the the worst thing is whether you're in person or you see it on TV, either way, I mean, seeing players kneel around a fallen player, you're like, oh, my goodness, how bad is this kind of thing? It's just it's uh, it, it. You knew it was bad. It was great to see Seymour get up under his own power and make it to the sideline. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean anything in terms of the nature of the injury. But no, uh, no, it ho- hopefully it's not the end of the season. Yeah, and you know what? I tell people all the time that just because you see people, somebody get up under their own power doesn't mean there's any structural damage to the knee. I remember when I was in high school, um, you know, first game of the season, my friend Tyrone, um, somebody he somebody ran into his knee and he was done for the game and he was diagnosed with an ACL. But you know, we ended up going on a, on a trip to the to the mall the next day. And this guy was walking around without his crutches because you know until until the inflammation goes down and the swelling subsides, you know, there's really like I said, depending on the severity of the tear. Um, you know, like you could really still put some weight on it and be walking around, and not even know you have a torn ACL. Hmm. Wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, you mentioned, I think during our production meeting, but it might have been during the show that, that Raleigh Webb finally got into the game. And that was a case that the Ravens only had four cornerbacks, sorry, only four defensive backs they could even put out there. So, what do they do when they have to play nickel, when the other team lines up with three wide receivers, basically in that? Well, you can put a safety directly opposite them. But what the Ravens did is to put a third inside linebacker on the field. So they had McLean Welch return to the game. So I guess he was still in pads. And oh, he better have been. And Ross <laughs> was, was still out there. So that is just about as weak a defense as you can imagine in terms of trying to stop a team who's trying to drive the ball up the field to receivers. So they finally decided Raleigh Webb goes into the game. Geno Stone on third and six, when they put Webb into the game, uh, moved up into the box effectively to try and make a play. And sure enough, he came up with a sack on the next play. Geno Stone, big player, big time player. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the preseason MVP right there. <laughs> and, uh, and then on fourth and six, 
you know, they were able to get a pressure otherwise, and I think it was Mac who got the game-winning pressure on the on the on the final play. No, it wasn't. It was somebody else. I thought it was uh, Moon, wasn't it? Uh, that was he got a he got a he got a shared the sack with Stone on the previous play. Oh, I'm just going to drive me nuts unless I can remember this. Uh, I, I I actually don't remember who got the who got the pressure on that play, but anyway, throw was hurried and well short uh, in terms of uh, of the receiver on the right sideline. Uh, and our Darius Washington was sticking to him like glue, which was nice to see. Uh, but it's it's just it's so weird, and it would never obviously happen in a regular season game that you'd ever be limited in this way by personnel, not only who, you do, who you're not going to play because you didn't ever dress them, but the people you undress during the game in terms of having their pads taken off. It, that's, it's just it's self-imposed grief uh, by the Ravens in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, and they they're very fortunate that um that the um, odds kind of fell in their favor as far as you know the outcome of this game because it very could have well unraveled for them at the end, especially when because like I said Washington had put together I I avoid just saying Commander so I just say Washington, mm-hmm. Washington put together some really some really good and long drives throughout this game. It was just really like the all bend but not break mentality to save the Ravens from giving up multiple touchdowns in this game and the missed field goal on the opening possessions. Yeah, I, I, I mean, they did. And I, I, I thought, you know, their offensive line, I thought, played pretty lousy the entire game. But uh, it didn't matter because the Ravens could not tackle Sam Howell in this game. They couldn't they couldn't get him on the ground on sacks. They couldn't, you know, get him contained properly. Uh, he, he ran loose, for, you know, eight for 60 something in terms of in terms of rushing for the game. Also, very efficient game passing. Uh, he looks like the real deal to me. Oh, yeah. He looks like a Vin, Vin Roethlisberger. You know, before he lost his somewhat limited mobility, the way he was just like, I mean, that's like I get so frustrated with Roger Washington sometimes because he's had so many almost sacks where he's had a quarterback dead to rights wrapped up. Joe Burrow did it to him last year. I forget. I think he had, he had another time against maybe Baker Mayfield or somebody. And I was just like, man, like and then Rod Woodson even said on the um, on the broadcast, look, when, in situations like that, just grab some cloth. Just grab some cloth because, uh, <laughs> you know, nine times out of ten, you know, like, even if the guy sheds you, you can still drag him down or hold him up for a teammate to rally. And you know, mm-hmm. Roger Washington is still—he still ended up getting half the sack um, by sharing it with Moon later on in that play. But you could have had him dead rights right then and there. And um, yeah, I was, I was thoroughly impressed with Sam Howell. And uh, I know the Panthers are probably kicking themselves for letting that guy out of, the, out of their backyard. Yeah, good point. Yeah, he was—he was, uh, was Mr. North Carolina last year, wasn't he? In terms of uh, of uh, you know being a being a state hero. Uh, Carson Wentz is, is signed for two more years after this, but he has no more guaranteed money uh, after this year. So his, his prorated bonus over the entire four-year period is is fairly small, uh, you know, for quarterback terms. It maybe was $25 million or something in, in total. But they can cut him and, and have a very significant cap savings next year of, of about $26.2 million if if the OTC numbers are correct. So if... I mean, I'm just looking at Howell here, and it looks to me like Washington probably has a pretty good quarterback going forward. Yeah, you know, that, that, that's great for them, too, because, you know, I, I feel like this is really Sam, oh, not Sam, uh, Carson Wentz is like kind of last, you know, last chance to, you know, to prove himself as a, as a starter before he gets relegated into like Baker Mayfield territory to where it's, you know, I mean, okay, I shouldn't say Baker Mayfield territory before he gets, I don't know, maybe what, Blaine Gabbert territory, you know, former, former, yeah. former top. 
top pick who gets, gets relegated to high end backup, yeah. but not really Marcus Mariota yeah. territory. Yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. For exactly number two overall pick, you know, just, just yeah. like Carson. So, um, like we'll see, but I do like what I saw at how and and to me, performing well against the Ravens, the Ravens backups means a lot, goes a lot, you know, goes a lot more. It means a lot more than performing against somebody else's threes and fours. Not all threes and fours are created equally. Ravens kind of pride themselves on having a lot of defensive depth. And the fact that he was doing that against their backups, I feel like it'll be more saying against, you know, the Cowboys backups because they lack a whole lot of depth in their team. Yeah, you definitely can build your team as a barbell or as a as a more levelized and, and, and evenly graded off like quality from one to one to three uh, in, in terms of your depth. And the Ravens, this preseason winning streak is all about defensive depth. I mean, it's all about the Ravens' number twos being a lot better than everybody else's number twos. Yep. All righty. Well, let's go through some position groups uh, and talk about players. And, and you know, one of the things is with all of the limitations and the constraints and the we don't have this and we don't have him and you don't have him kind of nature of this game, a lot of the play doesn't really matter. So I kind of want to focus on the players for whom it, it really does matter whether they were there, maybe in some cases, whether they weren't there uh, on this team and how it's going to either help their, help their, their role or maybe their roster situation. I did another show on the roster. I hope people will go out and look at, uh, listen to that. That's with Jordan co. Uh, so I don't want to talk completely about this as a roster show, but it's okay. You know, to the degree we, we have significant points about that to, to talk about some of these battles. What, what position group would you like to start with, and maybe name a, name the first player from there? Um, I guess we can start with what I believe is one of the tighter tighter battles of, of camp and and the inside linebacker group, and and really the the two guys that are kind of fighting for that what's probably going to be the fourth and final spot on the inside linebacker depth chart is um, Josh Ross and uh, Christian Welch. That sounds good. Uh, who do you want to talk about first, and, and give me your comments. Um, we can start. We can start with, with with Ross. He's kind of been like the preseason darling for a lot of people, especially PFF. I think they have him as the highest mm-hmm. graded defender. Period. Not just rookie defender, just defender. Period. He had like uh, grades of of ninety plus in in the first two weeks, and I'm not sure what his grade was um, last night. It was probably still fairly high. Yeah, he's he's certainly played well. Played seventy one snaps defensively in this game. That's very unusual for a preseason game. Geno Stone played all 76, but uh, but Ross played 71. Uh, if if you look out there in my article, he had 12 different plays where I had some sort of a note on him, a bunch of pressure events, uh, which was impressive. Got picked on a little bit as a coverage player after having played very well in coverage the first two games, but he gave up uh, several receptions in this one. I thought that that, uh, that was something Howell did pretty well was take advantage of him in a way that that other quarterbacks had not, and we know he's human, and 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 he won't be. We it was unreasonable to expect he'd, he'd be as good as he had been those first two games, but it's still good to have a, a linebacker with a little bit more awareness uh, than than what we've seen before at inside linebacker the last few years. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with you on on those points, and and um, yeah, it, it, it was. I was a little surprised. Like I said, I was like. Like I was so impressed with the way he played in coverage the previous two games that I was a little surprised and I was like, oh man, usually he makes that play or like on mm-hmm. on the swing route to the usually to, yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah on the on the swing route to the, to the running back for the touchdown I was like, oh man, that was like I had to rewind a couple times I was like, was that Ross's guy? No way! Mm-hmm. And I was like, that just wasn't I, I know it was a small sample size, but it's not what I got accustomed to seeing him do. And you know, like I said, he's still a rookie, he's still learning. And um and like I said, you know, like but um like I said, it, it was oh it was. It, it was, a, it was like a mixed bag, mixed bag day, uh, game of coverage from him. But as far as, you know, like reading everything else, as far as a run defender and, and as, as a blitzer, I, I thought he played fantastic. 
Yeah, outstanding. I agree. Just does it flies all over the field making tackles. Uh, squares up very well. Uh, he did not hold on for that sack on third and eight. Uh, that was uh, late in Q three. Yep. Uh, he so he he blew up the running back, uh, and then he 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 just was not able to hold on to Howell, and that was general frustration. It's not him alone. Washington, as you mentioned, let him slip away, and the the Ravens had to seem to be they had to touch him three times before they could take him down on a lot of these plays. Uh, I think you were talking about the play that tied the game, where he kind of took a very bad angle on Bonifon on that swing pass to the right that yep. went. It was it was basically just a pass in the flat for zero plus thirteen. That almost tied the game. You know, it brought him within two. Yeah, yeah, and that. So what I what I saw from that, he may have got a little caught up in. I want to say the wash, but like I know that the corner, the receiver on that side was running an inside route, and he kind of got slowed up a little bit. And he was just a, a tad bit late, and and you know they took advantage of that to to, to score to score that touchdown. But um, like 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 I said, uh, all of the, all 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 the things that I saw from him on the in the game were really good. Um, and um, like I said, his tackling was his tackling. I think he was the, he, he's the best form tackler on a team right now. Him and our Darius Washington and Pepe Williams to me are, are the best form tacklers on the second and third level right now, for, at least in my estimation. Right, and uh, <laughs> I, I hope I hope Mines will be at least that good. You know, will be as good in terms of being a form guy. It's certainly one of Bynes' strength, and and we certainly hope the Queen is has was taking a step forward this year in terms of that. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about Welch, if that's okay. And I'll I'll go ahead with my notes first, since you were first on Ross. Um, I I thought first of all it was a great time for him to have a good game because he's in he's locked in a heated battle with Ross for what is probably only one spot. Mm-hmm. I actually published a a fifty three where I and and in my article where where I have both of them making the team. But the more I reflect on that, the more I think it's probably only one that the team needs an extra defensive lineman too badly to keep an extra inside linebacker. But the other the other thing about that is that. You have this team of with all these great safeties on it, and you know all I've been talking about all off season is how you can have safeties replace inside linebackers on a lot of um, likely passing downs, and that'll provide you value. It could be even Ross as a third down inside linebacker the way Board was, if if you know he, things get really specialized. But but in terms of your safeties, you you already have an excellent group of safeties that can take you to dime or to quarter even if you want to put four safeties on the field and take two inside linebackers off. It seems strange that you would keep five safeties and five inside linebackers on a team. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm doing my um, roster prediction uh, uh, article tonight, and and um, our, like, I, I got Ross making it, and, and Welsh just missing it. Um, like a lot, of, a lot of times, like you know, a lot of times, sometimes, like you have a Michael Pierce, a guy who who has a really good last preseason game who just makes the cut. But in this case, I feel like the consistency that we've seen from Ross might give him the edge over uh, over a guy like Welsh because you know, not only is is Ross not Ross, not only is Ross. Um, you know, more apt in coverage than we've seen in Welsh. And I think Welsh played excellent and, you know, going downhill, especially as a blitzer. He had quite a few mm-hmm. pressures, led the team in sacks, two and a half of sacks, albeit some of those kind of cleanup sacks with a quarterback. That's exactly. Like, where, where the quarterback just just failed to break the line of scrimmage. But still, the fact that, you know, he, he played, he still played well and aggressive and fast flowing downhill. It's just, I think the coverage aspect will give Ross the nod and um, he'll be the, he'll be the guy, he'll be the fourth inside linebacker when I, when I do my predictions. Yeah, I I, uh, I, I, w- I wouldn't disagree with that. I think Ross has to be ahead of Welch at this point. So if you're keeping Welch, he's as the fifth, not as the fourth. Uh, and, the, the, you know, 
you can't minimize the value of the two-year reset at the position either. If you're keeping one, you'd rather keep a first-year player who you really believe has some value and some ascension associated with him. And if you have to take a little hit on special teams from losing Welch and replacing him with Ross, you do it. Yeah. And Ross played pretty good in special teams too. I'm like, you know, he's not he's not as experienced in that field as as Welch is, but he's a guy that can definitely learn and get adept to it. I, I think having Zach Ower as a positional coach and um, Chris Horton as the special teams coordinator, um, I think I think he'll he'll pick up special teams just fine. To me, the drop off between Welch and Ross and, and on, on on special teams isn't 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 that dramatic to where you should give Welch the edge over Ross. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. Because actually, the, the the service time thing is the real big cliff. That and, and frankly, it's a it's a problem with all players as they kind of age towards their fourth year, is they have to overcome a bigger and bigger hill. They need to be better and better than a first year player is in order to maintain their roster spot. And Welch is just finding himself in this position. There's there's other players on this roster who are in the same place, including frankly Tyler Huntley. At yeah. this point, yeah, I mean and Anthony yeah. Brown's the guy who I, I wouldn't say make. Tyler Huntley, um, you know, expendable, but you know, like, like how how many years are you going to commit to Tyler Huntley? Bef- you know, when you got this guy, other guy waiting in the, in the wings, who's pretty much reset the clock as far as you know, like uh, you know, years of, of team control. So I think I think Tyler Huntley is destined to be a, a starter or compete for starting job elsewhere after this year, if not, um, you know, be a trade sometime in the next mm-hmm. coming coming months or even days. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, it it almost has to be the next few days. Yeah, the, the the question about cutting Anthony Brown, and we'll, we'll depart a little bit from the defense, but the, the the problem with cutting Anthony Brown is you're not just competing with waiver claims. Because, yes, there, there are waiver claims. He could get claimed immediately. There aren't that many in the whole league. Like, waiver claims is, I, I don't know if it was 12, 16, but it's, it's, it's less than half a claim per team that there have been in typical years recently. So it's not like there's, you know, this huge number of players is changing hands via the waiver claim process itself. But the waiver claim process is only there to pick up players for teams who can provide an immediate roster spot for that player, which is actually a little bit uncommon. The more common exchange is the Ben Mason infidelity, where the team that drafts him or the team that assigns him as a UDFA then cuts him, expecting to be able to, to offer him a practice squad spot. But then he says, I'm looking around and I'm seeing a better opportunity for myself with this other team that has a shorter totem pole of depth ahead of me. And this makes more sense for me. So they'll go out and they'll they'll try and uh, uh, sign with somebody else who... Uh, uh, you know, might have might have fewer players. So, so in Anthony Brown's case, he he might be able to be the third quarterback in a more less deep depth situation. So, if you have Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold ahead of you, maybe that's a good place for Anthony Brown to be because you know, hey, those guys can implode. Yeah, and and Sam Darnold has um just got he has a diagnosis with a high ankle sprain, so he'll be out for four to six weeks. So who knows? You know, they got I think right now they have Baker Mayfield and PJ Walker as their only two healthy quarterbacks right now. So that might be a if Anthony Brown ends up getting cut, that might be a potential landing spot for him. There are some other spots that he could probably see himself on, on too. The Lions might the Lions might even give him a, give him a sniff. 
Uh, technical note here. I'm getting a little feedback from you. I don't know if there's anything you can do about it, Josh, but let's let's uh, uh, move on to the next player here. Anybody else at the inside linebacker group you want to talk about? Because Queen and Bynes obviously didn't play at all. Uh, how about Zacoby McClain? Um, he's the guy I definitely got on the outside looking in. Um, he had he just he just got outshined by by, by Ross throughout this entire preseason and mm-hmm. um and, and and Welsh as well. You know, he's a guy that's you know made a few plays here and there, but he wasn't as adept in coverage as they thought he was gonna be coming into um this preseason and into training camp really. I thought you know he was like, you know, we we think we talked about him um on our previous previous pod where, you know, we, we expected, you know, the him to come, maybe even have an edge over some of the other guys because of his ability and coverage, and we just didn't see that. Yes, I, I agree. And you know, the big play in this game that I that he really got called out, he was he was uh not in the proper place on that little swing pass to pattern uh, Patterson that went for eighteen yards. So kind of like the touchdown that was zero plus thirteen. The, this one was to the left side when it was one plus seventeen. Took him all the way all the way down inside the ten yard line somewhere. It might have been inside the five where Warley knocked him out of bounds finally. But it wasn't Warley's position on the field to cover. Nor his man. That that was that was Zacoby McLean's man to cover. Geno Stone came over to him right away. And there's not a field leader for you, but he he got angry with him. He got pissed right away and and said, "Hey, that's your man. You got to cover." And um, I I I didn't think that he emoted excessively at the time because we've seen Marcus Peters and and Marlon Humphrey literally like cock their head at players and saying. Is this what I'm supposed to be? Kind of thing. Um, it, it, it looked like Stone was just really more angry than anything else about the way the play had gone down, and, and he did. He showed his emotion there. It wasn't kind of a LJ Fort low five. That's not the way you do it, son. It wasn't even a Geno Stone approaching Seymour last week when the punt got down to the three yard line instead of maybe at the one half yard line. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Still getting a little bit of feedback from you, Josh. Don't know if there's anything you do about. I'm hearing myself coming through your computer again. Oh, I haven't okay. moved. Uh, I've moved an inch since we started recording. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I'll uh, we'll, we'll we'll let it go here. Uh, anybody else at uh, at ILB that you want to talk about? Nope. That's all. That's all. All the guys I right. like talk about that are I feel like are relevant to the, making this roster. So, sure. How, who's your next guy you want to talk about? Um, we Next can, position group. Uh, we can we can get we can get in the safety. Um, I, I I liked what I saw from like we already talked about Geno Stone a lot. Um, but like I feel like he he played extremely well. I like I like I like the way Jefferson played. You know, at the time he was in there, and he's he's, mm-hmm. he's really been a guy that's kind of been like the leader of the defense during the preseason. He's a guy that's gotten a lot of playing time throughout the preseason. As like you know that every every game he's going to be pretty much active for if, if not the first half, if not you know like a good like three quarters of the game. I thought he played really well. You mean you mean Stone, not Jefferson, right? Yeah. You're talking about Stone. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. He's been the leader of the defense this this preseason, and he was definitely the a man among boys in that first game, and was clearly a defensive MVP. Since then, he's been maybe a little quieter, but he seems to come up with big plays when they're needed, uh, and and just very effective. He's clearly the Ravens' fourth safety at this point, and. Yeah, the question is legitimate is who do you want on the field as your fourth safety if you decide to put on a four safety package? You know, one it would typically be a quarter package, I would think, where you have two safeties replacing two inside linebackers. It I, I like Jefferson in that role, but I wouldn't mind Stone on the back end and having Hamilton and Clark in those two inside linebacker spots. I think that'd give you a very dangerous underneath short zone coverage unit. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I, I feel like I'd love to see Marcus Marcus Williams and Geno Stone operating together in, in that back end. They cover so much ground, and I feel like uh, uh, Clark and Hamilton would have the, the intermediate level lockdown. Yeah, we really be a big awareness gain to have those guys underneath. And you know, we saw in the in the last game how Hamilton's size impacted the game in a big way. So we'll see. I think I think Jefferson's going to be out there week one. I really do, but. Uh, if his role is just special teams, the question is legitimate is, can you use this roster spot better somehow else otherwise? And uh, I, I, I just, I have a feeling that he's still going to be there week one, but it's not as strong as it was with the, with the high end play from stone this preseason, pretty much cementing his number four spot. And also, you know, he's the personal protector on punts. So they've got that position locked down. That's very key. Jefferson Hamilton had been playing on the wings before, so it, it just is not as clear to me anymore. Yeah, and I also think a, a factor in as how much Jefferson plays will be how the inside linebackers perform to start this season. You know, mm-hmm. if we still see some of the same struggles that we've been seeing in you know in, in these uh, last few years with with Queen and and not, not no so because I feel like Bynes will might be a little bit more limited player going forward, but if, mm-hmm. if they're still like uh, inside linebacker still hasn't taken the next step forward as far as you know being able to be counted on down in and down out. I think we'll see a lot more Jefferson um, sooner rather than later. Okay. All right. I, I would. I, I certainly hope that's the case. Honestly, I, I hope they'll work to get three safety packages on the field, which it seems like they should just because of the quality of their top three guys. There's a, a general rule of thumb I have is that your second best coverage, sorry, your third best coverage safety is almost always a better coverage player than your second best coverage inside linebacker. Yeah, sometimes so, even better than their first. Yeah, sometimes even better than the first. Absolutely, and 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 but that, what that means is there's almost never an excuse for not playing dime in a passing situation. You know, you're, you just you're. It, it, it's, there's very little trade off, even even on a second and ten play. I, I really believe in putting a dime defense on the field, and yeah, if they want to run the ball and get six yards, go ahead and let them do that and see if they can make a first down on third and four if that happens to be the way it goes. But I don't honestly believe you lose that much. From going to it from an inside linebacker to a safety in terms of tackling, I, I certainly don't believe it in terms of Jefferson. Yeah, I must say, especially with the particular safety group the Ravens have, like off like all their safeties, like I haven't seen Mar- from Marcus Williams as, as much, and I don't think it's going to be his job. But I feel like all the rest of those guys are great in run support and they're aggressive as far as flying downhill. Now, I would now for, for, for Hamilton, you know, his tackling this preseason has been a little. You know, inconsistent at mm-hmm. times, and he's been doing a lot, a lot of ankle biting and that you know securing the tackle. But as far as come playing downhill, I think Stone, both Stone and Jefferson would be excellent in that in a role like that. Yeah, I, and I, I honestly, I think what we've seen from Hamilton, kind of like Linderbaum, we've seen outstanding flashes of the important talents, range, you mm-hmm. know, uh, instincts and awareness, uh, ch- transition from run to pass defenses. We saw in that last game, ability to get his hands up and, and, and make a play on a ball with, with a better reaction time than you might get from other players. I, I just, I, I think we've seen the flashes and I've not been upset by the missed tackles as much as the bad angles that he's taking. You let Malik Willis get, get, run around him when he had outside contain on him reverse the field and mm-hmm. and he, he didn't maintain that backside contain uh and and he he had another one that was similar to that where he got turned around in the secondary by a receiver i i you know i called it getting juked out of his shoes but really he just got turned around is is what it amounted to and um that's another case where and the safety's got to understand how to play that leverage and try and get that guy to move where he wants him to go by 
you know, encouraging towards the sideline. Uh, you know, there've been some things like that. I think those are very correctable. Same and, here. And I think, same here. Yeah. The, 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 the actual tackling, you know, when he's, when he's actually missed a tackle has not been as bad as the, as the angle problems. Yeah. Yep. All right. So do I have anyone else I want to talk? I think we covered pretty much every safety because we talked about Jefferson. We talked about about Stone. The other three, the top three guys didn't play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have, uh, you know, a couple other guys who have played some safety. Maybe we talk about our Darius Washington played the second half of this game at safety. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was, I was going to say, did you want to count our Darius as a cornerback or a safety? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me. But um, yeah, I, I like the way he played. He had he had a. Um, like I said he didn't have a you know a great game in coverage, but he had he made he made time he made plays when they, they needed to be made, and that was really kind of been like a theme with him over the past couple of weeks. So I don't think he played in his preseason opener, but the, the, like late in the game last week and this week again, he came up clutch for the Ravens in coverage, making some outstanding plays. Yeah, I I I certainly liked him on that final play, sticking right with the receivers. Almost like he gave the receiver the hook on that play. The receiver was looking at Washington trying to get clues about the football. And and uh, wasn't finding them. The football was off early and way behind him, and apparently the, the wide receiver wasn't tracking the ball anyway. But uh, but that was interesting to to, to see that. I, I thought he played pretty well downhill. Um, it's not like he. I'm not sure if I can recall a missed tackle in this game. He had some good undercuts. Uh, he did miss a tackle. He missed that third and eight tackle when Howell ran for six yards. So it turned into a fourth and two, and then they converted that. Yeah. That wasn't so great, but otherwise, you know, good good game. A near int, you know, I always like the aggressiveness. Gambling, in generally speaking, when you're a, when you're a defensive back, is usually a good thing because the, the percentage chance you need to be right is not that high. It never is, and so uh, you know some of the some of the things he's done in order to to get underneath a route, I'm very much for it. If it gives him an occasional reception because of it, that's okay. But he's he's going to eventually turn that into some picks and uh, fits really right in with the rest of this defense. In, in two big ways. One is I think he has the, the good ball skills for tips in the air, which hopefully the Ravens will be getting some this year. The other thing is that um, he's the best second option to Pepe on this team right now in terms of slot corner. I don't think there's another guy I would like to have there. I know Marlon could do it, but I really don't want to see anybody else there. Yeah, I, yeah, I totally agree. And I feel like he, he really made it hard for the Ravens to, to, to cut him now because I just feel like he's so valuable with the way you can deploy him, both at safety and at, and at, and at nickel. And um, like I said, I wrote in my notes too that, that PBU was almost INT. And I, like, I, like you said, I feel like a lot of those tip passes come regular season are going to lead it into, into, you know, guys diving for crowd interceptions. And you really would love to see that, especially out of a slot guy. Yeah. Yeah, you you very positive, obviously, on that. Let's move on to the cornerbacks since we, we've already kind of crossed the line here. And uh, Washington is sitting seventh on my cornerback list. So he, he'd be kind of on the bubble of that group. But I think they'll actually keep all seven. So it's a, it's a, uh, he, he's safe. Some of the other guys that were playing with him at the same time, they didn't play badly, but they're, they're definitely not safe. Uh, David Vereen made some plays. Uh, I thought he he wasn't bad. He, he had a very bad play, not touching the receiver down on that twenty plus eight catch. Yeah, I was yelling uh, at the TV. You got to touch him down. You got to touch him down. Yeah. <laughs> and Rod Woodson said the same thing. Like even, even it's just a good rule of thumb. Just like whenever, even if you don't feel like you touch the guy, just always touch the guy. Even if you gotta like give him a nice little slap on the ass, just you know, just get him. Make sure you touch him. Yeah, one of the things in war you do, and I remember there was a scene in what what movie was it? Enemy at the Gates. 
So there, it's it's the battle for Stalingrad, and the hero is is stuck at the bottom of a fountain in the square that has a lot of dead Russians in it. And apparently there was one other living Russian, and that's his friend in the thing. But the Germans come through there, and they just they just pepper the bodies that they see with bullets because they know there's a you know some possibility of some some uh, uh, possumery around that. That's the same way you have to feel about about this situation is it, there's no harm in touching him down a second time. Nope. Maybe that analogy was too long for the payoff. I, I'm not sure, but it probably was. Uh, so who else we got to talk about? Brandon Stevens uh, was a guy I don't think has improved his position. He really needed that time at outside corner, I thought, but I didn't feel like he improved his position or that honestly it's clear at all uh, where he's going to get his first shot. Yeah, and it's it's it's, it's weird with Stevens because like a lot of times like he'll be in the right place sometimes, but he'll just like he'll let, he'll allow the receiver to get inside leverage on him, and it's just like like man like I, and Rod Wilson even pointed it out on a couple times like you know he'll be in the right spot or be in the in the vicinity be in position to make the play, and like I said, he'll be tight in coverage, he just doesn't make the play or he'll he'll get he'll make the tackle after the fact. Or he won't, you know, like I said, take inside leverage to make a play on the ball to get an interception or at least to force an uh, incomplete pass. Yeah, I, that's a great point about the about the leverage there too. I mean, he's he's uh, I he I think, and I'm not sure if it's a speed thing because he seems like he's fast enough to play outside corner. He's definitely big enough. Mm-hmm. And and one of the questions is, does he um, overreact to the first step at the top of the route? And I kind of have seen some of that. I thought he got. Uh, on a couple of, of comebackers, I thought he he overstepped and then ended up being soft. He had one slip uh, in coverage where he's where he's a step slow, uh, getting back to a receiver. Or actually, I think he was actually more trailing to the sideline on that on that play. Uh, but you know, generally speaking, the word that keeps coming up with Stevens in my coverage notes is soft, and and that's indicative of a player who at the top of the route is just biting a little too heavily. On a uh, you know a kind of a uh, comeback route. Yeah, yeah, you know, almost give it a touchdown to Deami Brown if, if it wasn't for Brown dropping dropping the um, dropping the ball there in the end zone. It's just like you know, like man, like either you're playing too far off and too soft, or you're playing, or you, like you kind of panic on top of the route and get a little grabby. And that's like you, a lot of things you see of a lot of young defensive backs. And I just to me, I don't I don't feel too comfortable in him as like you know a primary backup at cornerback right now. I'm, I'm glad they have Kyle Fuller, and I think they'd probably honestly rather trot out um, Pepe Williams before him um, in in the case that, you know, a guy like Jalen Armour Davis wouldn't be available. You're saying Pepe Williams on the outside? Yeah, I think, I, I, okay. I, yeah, yeah, given, given you know, where Stevens is in his in his development right now as, as an outside corner, I'm, I'm not too confident. Yeah, I mean, that's fair enough. I, I think, and, and, and they might, maybe they try Stevens at safety as the sixth guy. You know, if they had some really severe injuries at, at safety, but it's hard to see him getting that getting that opportunity. The reason I think that these corners are all fairly safe in terms of the roster, and Stevens, honestly, next year is not going to be safe on the roster. He's going to be his third year. His, his option value will have waned. He's going to have to show something this year, which is why it's so important for him to find a way to get on the field this year. But it's a deep group. Mm-hmm. You know, it, there's no guarantees. But but if he goes into next camp just projecting ahead and, and he's – you know, he looks basically like he has now, and he's still a developmental player. Well, that's third year is too late to be a developmental player. You, you got to have shown something by then. Yeah, and I feel like the fact that the Ravens, like, like when they when they first drafted him, they said they viewed him as a free safety, and then went out and signed Marcus Williams. It's pretty telling about about how they feel about him at safety. So now they want to um, keep him at cornerback, and it's just 
You know, I I feel like once once he spends an entire year just playing cornerback, I, I think it'll I think it'll do 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 wonders for him. But um, like I said, you're gonna want to see that development because people talking about him as oh he's a third round pick. Well, he was the last pick in the third round, so that's basically a fourth round pick. And you know, going into your third year, you might not have the same roster security as some people might assume. You know, being a former third round pick. Right, going into his third year, I think I think you uh, you're pretty much fighting for a job like a lot of other players at that point. And and if a first year player comes along, even if he's a sixth round pick, you know if if he's if he's better than you, or if he's ninety five percent of the player you are at that point, you got a problem. Yes, yeah. you you know it's uh you know it's a it's not not the point on the developmental curve you need to be on when you're projecting talent like that Stevens lots of physical gifts too and I do feel like he's a player the Ravens have kind of messed up a little bit by moving him around from position to position and I thought they would stop that and leave him at outside corner for this preseason but they've been they also moved him over to play dime in some of these games so the second game when they actually played five snaps of dime you know they haven't played any dime in this last game and they didn't otherwise in the first game uh, they, they actually, that's not true. They played two snaps of 32 dime in the first game. But in the second game, they played five snaps of dime. And they had Stevens move in from outside corner to take that role. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like the same discussion with Tyree Phillips again is can you just pick a position for the guy and give him a chance to excel at that? I mean, it should be obvious to anybody who's following this team that Stevens is not in the in the set of players who might play dime during the regular season without a very severe list of injuries. Yeah, the same way I feel like Tyree Phillips should not be put at tackle, and he's best suited mm-hmm. at guard. I mean, how many times do we have to see this guy get beat around the edge with his with his with his quicksand feet, and before we be like, you know, this is good up on this. Yeah, well, I I agree. You know, one of the funny things, and we'll talk about this on the offensive show tomorrow night, but Tyree Phillips actually had a pretty good game pass blocking. Uh, I didn't I didn't catch I didn't get him for even one mistake uh, in in the game against the Commanders. Uh, generally speaking, kept a lot of space in that pocket. And yeah, obviously a very hot and cold player in some ways, but, uh, you know, he goes from completely out of that picture after that implosion in the first game where he had the two holding calls and a, I'm sorry, two sacks and a holding call or two holding calls and a sack, whichever it was. He's had four penalties uh, mm-hmm. in, in this preseason. So it's hard to keep the, and I think it was two sacks and a, yeah. and a hold. So. Uh, you know, you, I, I agree with you. I think I, I don't trust him at tackle at this point. I would rather, for developmental purposes, not only that they put him at guard, but they put him at one guard position if they have the opportunity to do that. Uh, and, and honestly, I think he probably is. A, it, it makes more sense at right guard. It just doesn't make sense for who the Ravens have there already. Yep. No, Zeitler is is, is that dude. He's holding it down. All right. Uh, one other guy I want to kind of talk about and, and really notable in his absence was Jalen Armour Davis, and a guy who has not played a lot uh, of football, period. You know, played played fairly briefly at Alabama behind a lot of other guys until his senior year when he played 11 games and then, you know, was slated to play some this preseason. But he's but he's missed the entire preseason now with a variety of injuries. And it would not even shock me if he's one of these guys who gets moved to IR at the start of the year uh, on one of these handshake deal uh, manipulations. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but you know another reason why Ardarius Washington stays on the roster is that you really can't trust Jalen Armour Davis's availability right away, and and that would give the Ravens time to get him healthy, get him back in a position where he's really to help the team. You know, six weeks down the road, let's say. 
uh, where where if there are injury problems, he could actually step in. And uh, unfortunately, I mean, we're going to do a concern series coming up. But I'm very concerned about the Ravens' cornerback depth. Yeah, yeah, um, it's, it's a lot, a lot of inexperience. Like you know, your top three guys. I mean, you got you know, you got Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey. I mean, we still don't know what Peters looks like right now. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, you know we, I like what I saw from Kyle Fuller in, in limited snaps. You know, because for for the longest time he was just getting lambasted on on Twitter for all of his you know all of, getting caught on Rashad Bateman when DBs aren't supposed to make contact with receivers in training camp. And so I like what I saw from Kyle Fuller. But outside of those top three, and you know, Pepe, I like I, I love what I saw from Pepe. So outside of those top four. It's really, it's really a little shaky. And then you got Ardarius Washington. And I was really looking forward to seeing um, Jalen Armour Davis in this preseason, the fact that he didn't um, suit up at all, not for one game. I mean, even Tyler Linderbaum got nine snaps. You know, the fact that we didn't mm-hmm. see J.A.D. not once this preseason is kind of concerning to me. But I'm like, okay, well, what are you going to do? Is like throw him into the deep end, come, you know, come regular season once, once you know, if the Ravens have an injury or something, or Marcus Peters doesn't, you know, doesn't look like himself to start the season. Like, what are you going to do? Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure they're, they're going to have a lot of choices in that regard. I think the choice will be made for them by their lack of depth. But, uh, you know, Fuller is a big concern to me. They paid him a lot of money. They paid a guy who got benched twice at Denver last year. And I know Fangio really praised him at times last year for stepping in and playing slot corner. But he did so with this backpedaling language of, hey, there's a guy who's never played a, a, a snap of slot corner in his life. Well, already he's saying my expectation was way down here at the floor. So anything would have been good. And then he says, well, and he did this and this and this and, and, and he'll name some specific plays that went all right. But the fact of the matter was he benched Fuller twice during the year, once as an outside corner and once as a slot corner. And the guys who replaced him in terms of getting playing time, not impressive. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, outside of Patrick Zertan, um, it was really kind of a bare bones bunch over there in in, uh, in in Denver, and um, like I said, like I, I liked what I seen for him in, in limited opportunities with the Ravens. I thought I was gonna, I thought we were gonna see him a little bit in this game, but um, I was, I was a little, I was a little surprised he, he didn't, he didn't play much or or at all. Yeah. Um, anybody else we need to talk about? Obviously, we didn't see Fuller, which I guess he kind of earned his third game off with the with the second game being pretty good. A couple near near interceptions, some plays on the football. Uh, at least that was good. Yeah, yeah, it was good. You know, and, you know, flashed some of that potential that you know um, made him some of the renowned ball hawk. You know, earlier on in his career. How about Kayvon Seymour in this game? Uh, obviously, a uh, a long game for him, sixty nine snaps. I think he played every game prior to the every snap prior to the injury. Um, he, he played he played solid, and like I say, Kayvon Seymour is another guy like you know like Fuller's caught a lot of flack you know during training camp and preseason. You know, especially the, I was with week one where he kind of lost lost the ball and lost his receiver in coverage for mm-hmm. that long for that long gain. Um, but I thought he had a pretty solid game in this in this game before he got hurt. You know, made a, I think he made a I think he had a, a PBU earlier in, in in the game, and um, I think he played solid overall. Just like you know, a guy that the Ravens are gonna you know kind of. Well, prior to the prior to his injury, I think he suffered a serious injury. Prior to his injury, I feel like he would have been another guy that the Ravens kind of had on speed. That like, hey, stick around, stay in town. You know, if something happens. You know, you'll be first first guy we call. You're familiar with our system. You know, we like you. You, you know, you know us. We know you. Um, but I, he's not a guy that I really kind of factored into the roster final roster crunch. Right, and and I would basically agree with that. Meaning, probably you know, being on the Ravens practice squad is not a bad place for him. Uh, you know, he certainly is a guy who, you know, since he can play inside or outside, gives you a versatile 
option that's really at the replacement level or maybe slightly above. Uh, but it's not a, you know, obviously you're not getting a, 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 a top corner, but you're also, uh, your, your um, expectations of what the replacement level is, they drop over the course of the season because the pool of talent is getting injured. So you, you, you have less and less that you'll take as your minimum standard as, as you go forward. And, and Seymour is the kind of player who the standard definitely drops through his level of play at some point during the season. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. He was part of that street for aging group that the Ravens had to turn to yeah. in the second half of the season last year. Him and Robert Jackson and, and Worley, who was another guy. I don't know if you want to talk about, but you know, he's a guy that's you know kind of just 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 uh, just a guy. He's a jag for me. Um, you know, mm-hmm. he's 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 a guy that like I said, one of those speed dial guys. Like, hey, if our quarterback group gets decimated again, you know, we'll give you we'll give you a holler. But he's not somebody who again who I factored in factored into the final roster crunch for me. You know, he made a made a nice play week one, getting an interception. But other than that, I haven't seen much much um good play out of him. Or anything that really yeah, kind of he, popped up to me. I thought he had a really good coverage game, by the way, this week. Um for for what it's worth. They were not throwing at him much. And you know, they had other options. They were they were really taking advantage of the inside linebackers across the board. Uh but they did they did not throw at Worley much in this game. And if I recall yeah, the 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 play the only play I've got a coverage note for him. He had tight coverage. The wide receiver um, Mitchell. I'm not sure how to say his name. It's M I M I C H E L uh, on the left sideline. That was midway through Q3, and Howell under uh, overthrew him under pressure there. But Worley was right with him, and and the fact that I saw him there, and then he didn't really show up in coverage any other way. He actually moved off his own man to make the tackle on the swing pass that McLean was not properly positioned on. Yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, I I thought he had a pretty good game in coverage. So, um, you know, I to my to my way of thinking, he he has a good chance on the practice squad. Obviously, he's not going to make the roster. Yeah, yeah. I think he's he's like ideal veteran practice squad guy that you keep around, um, just to have him, you know, break glass, keep him bridge receipt. There you go. Okay, so we talked about safety. We talked about corner. Uh, we talked about inside linebacker. We haven't talked about the defensive line or the edge yet, right? I mean, we, we we briefly touched on the defensive line, you know, about how many, you know, how much the guys are playing and stuff like that. But we can talk about outside linebacker real quick. Sure, let's do it. Who's your um, guy? Uh, so we can start with, with, with Jeremiah Moon. Um, I saw a lot more from him this game than I did the previous two games. Um, he's a lot more active. Well, one, he got you know more run early and often. But um, but two, you know, he, him and him and Chuck Wiley, but especially him, he was generating some good pressure. Um, around, around the around the edge and got a, quite a few quarterback hits in this game. And I, I I don't know if he I don't know if he made enough of a splash to you know push a roster spot, but he's definitely a prime practice squad candidate in my estimate. In, you know, in my eyes. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, th- I think kind of think outside linebacker is a position the Ravens are going to be looking at very heavily from the time the initial fifty three is set until that opener. And Stephen Means is a candidate for a handshake deal, but he's also a candidate to be replaced. So you know they they. He provides the Ravens with roster flexibility this week, and maybe they really need Stephen Means. Maybe he's he's the best guy out there, especially in the price range they they have. But I think that's a position where they're going to be looking at who was cut by other teams. Who you know, some of it is Means is a veteran, and that's nice for roster flexibility, but it's not good for option value. And they may be able to find a first year guy. Maybe they liked in the draft process. Maybe went undrafted somewhere else, and another team just didn't have room for him. As it turned out. And the Ravens have a chance to roster the guy. 
you know, during the waiver claim process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do believe that the Ravens are going to be. I think if anybody who's expecting the Ravens to go out and sign a Jason Pierre-Paul or a Trey Flowers or somebody might be, you know, they, they're going to be kind of let down the same way they were about on the receiver front. I think they're much more going to be monitoring the waiver claim process and trying to get a guy who, you know, like I said, who just who just missed the cut on another team, guy who's still on those, you know, that that first 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 contract that they can get. A guy I wish they would have claimed last year who didn't make the Steelers team was a uh, Quincy. Roche, um, the guy at um, uh, the defensive end out of um, University of Miami, and he's more of a you know he's he's an exclusively rush outside linebacker kind of guy, but he's a guy that I um, that I was who dropped further in the draft than I thought he would, and I thought would have been an ideal you know backup rush for the Ravens, even though they already had um, you know Jalen Ferguson at the time. So the Ravens have um, Houston and Owe on the rush side right now. And, and by the way, things may be going on at practice for Owe to play Sam linebacker because it, may, it would make a lot of sense. It's just a lot of additional responsibility and difference in uh, coverage responsibility certainly takes away from a guy who, who could otherwise be an outstanding pass rusher. But I think it's Sam that they really need to go out and find. And they're rare. They're unicorns out there. But uh, Vince Beagle was supposed to be that guy. And he would have been a great fill-in guy at Sam until Bowser returned. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, you know, he was the first guy who lost to injury. Yeah, and the, and the guy who was really like pounding the table for it, but um, was uh, was a guy like Anthony Barr, a guy like Anthony Barr who signed with the Cowboys, who's 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 that that tweener dude who can drop in the coverage, who can play outside linebacker, who can rush the pass because people forget coming into coming into the league out of UCLA. Um, you know, I forget what year he came into the league, 2017, 2016. But he was definitely a guy that, you know, who's, who's known more as a pass rusher in college, who did, who the Vikings developed into an off-ball guy, but still maintains that pass rush versatility. What kind of money did Anthony Barr end up making? Man, he, he sounded like a one-year, like not even, I don't even think he was signed worth worth, worth anything above $5 million. I, I don't know his exact exact salary, but I know it was something small. And um, yeah, okay. I, I think I think he would have been a, an ideal Sam linebacker for the Ravens. That's a that's a he, he I, I'm looking at it right now actually I got a, at one point nine one million, which that's a that's a bargain. I would agree. I, I that uh, that could really work out. And you know if Anthony Barr comes back and he finds his second career here all of a sudden, maybe he gets signed somewhere else. Maybe he even end up getting a comp pick out of the deal. Yeah. All right. Uh, maybe a little bit about Wiley, a guy they thought they had cut, but. Uh, then they decided not to. Uh, all of a sudden, he he again played fifty snaps the other night. Yeah, he was a guy who like I was surprised. Like I I remember like last week I was like, wait, Wiley's back out there? When did they bring mm-hmm. bring him back on the roster? Last time I checked, he they, he was got released in the first round of cuts, and he was a guy who was um I, he wasn't as he didn't flash as much as as Moon did to me. But he was a guy that was that, that was still generating a fair amount of pressure. I think that um that the uh, that the Washington's tackles didn't had a very very poor game. And that the Ravens edge players, you know, even even means too, took a, took advantage of that. Yeah. By the way, Wiley is the guy who had that game-ending pressure. So the 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 pressure with 127 to go when when the the ball was thrown way short on the right side on the fourth down that that was actually Wiley's pressure. Oh, so my okay, mis- cool. my mistake on finding that before. But he had four, I, I scored him for the contributions to four pressures in the game, and three of those ended drives. So. I, I like players who end drives or contribute to drive-ending plays uh, more than a lot of other factors. It's often turnovers-related, uh, maybe turnover-related, maybe pressure-related on a uh, play, and it can be a, a, a pass defense. But those 
those plays that end drives have higher leverage value, and it's not by accident that they seem to keep coming up for the same players. Yeah, you really love a guy who knows, who knows when, when to turn it up. Like, all right, you know, if we get a stop here, then, you know, that that's that's ball back in the hands of our offense. You, you really like a guy who can kind of give it his all and go that extra mile on those key third downs or, you know, fourth downs, the fourth, the turnover on downs, the fourth, the punt. So um, that's, that's a great, great job by him. All right. We did. Um, I think that might be it for outside linebackers because we didn't really talk about Stephen Means this game, but he probably is next on the on the totem pole. I just think he's going to get the veteran treatment and be um, signed to a you know a, a cut, and then with the understanding, hey, we've got you in our plans. We'll, we'll give you a call next week to let you know what our situation is. Um, it's not it's not the same as Tony Jefferson. Tony Jefferson, they cut him. They're probably telling him you're in or you're out right at that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and Brent Urban is going to be cut. I'm, I'm 95% sure of that because he, he makes too much sense not to be. But he's definitely in the Ravens' plans at, at, on the defensive line. He'll, he'll have a significant snap, snap load this year, I would bet. Yeah, I mean, I, I really feel like, you know, like, because Means even said, you know, a couple couple weeks back that, you know, he really loves it in Baltimore and they kind of resurrected his love for the love for the game. So I definitely think he's a prime candidate for that handshake deal. And a guy like Urban, who like, even if they do cut him, like, hey, you know, a like, little wink, wink, nudge, nudge kind of thing, just stay around town. And, you know, you're definitely part of our plans. We're both thin at this position. Or like, you know, like I, I love Brett Urban as, as the ideal backup for Calais Campbell, especially on early downs. So, um I definitely think he'll um, he'll be full factor into the plans, like you said. Yeah, he's he's done nothing but make plays this preseason, and uh, you know one of the things I noticed was that PFF seemed to hit him pretty hard for a missed tackle in that first game, and it was a case where he penetrated several yards into the backfield, turned the running back, you know, ninety degrees basically. So he's running parallel to the line of scrimmage instead of running straight forward. <laughs> the running back then had to go to the outside. Harrison caught it from behind for the forced fumble. And then with all that time elapsed for that to happen, you know, the, the defense had converged in such a way that the, the fumble recovery was almost assured and there were three Ravens ready to pounce on it. So I, I, I think he's done nothing but make plays and be in the backfield this preseason so far. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I've been thoroughly impressed by what I've seen from him and his second stint with the Ravens. So, would, would you would you find it a little? Would you find it like natural that they probably already had that discussion with Urban? Maybe even when they signed him originally, say, "Hey, we want to bring you in. Here's our plan for you. We'll give you twenty five thousand now, or whatever guaranteed money they're willing to to, to go with. Um, our plan is to keep you. We think you can still do a, a high snap load." But you're just going to have to understand that our plan is also to cut you from the initial 53 based on your veteran status so that we can make room for an IR player at that time. Yeah, I definitely think he's the kind of player that kind of like understands. You know, he's been in the league since 2014, and he's been on like what three or four different teams in the last three or four years with the with the with the um, the Bears and the Cowboys and the Titans. So I think he understands that the business aspect of the game, and he knows that this at this stage in his career, he's a he's a great depth and role player. And not, you know, a guy who's going to, you know, uh, be like a must-have guy or a guy you can't afford to lose. Yeah, very much so. Uh, how about Isaiah Max play in this last game? I liked it. I liked it. I, I, I've, I've liked Max since since last year. I thought, like, you know, when he got in a couple t- a couple times and that, w- that was the Bengals game, he had a sack in there. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who's really, if he's really flashed that time in limited opportunities, I feel like a guy who's just, you know, given more opportunities, he could he could really be a solid contributor on the interior of a defensive line. And I feel like if the Ravens cut him, um, he's as good as gone. 
Yeah, I think you're probably right on that. I don't know if he'll be claimed, but there's certainly another team out there that would make him an offer where they've got a very thin defensive line as it stands right now. They wouldn't be in the kind of shape the Ravens are. And it might also be that there's another team out there that can make better use of him as a penetrating three-tech and and really even penetrating one-tech. But he's not your typical two-gap player. He's not that immovable size of an Adams or a Siragusa or a Brandon Williams or a Pierce who can uh, you know take a block from two guys and not go anywhere. Uh, he's he's really a, 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 a little bit undersized, a penetrator who who gets pie people and disrupts plays in the backfield. Yeah, yeah, and I, I like that. I like the kind of guy. I like the kind of guy. You know, like the 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 days of you know just loading up, clogging up the middle with a bunch of big beefy dudes is I felt like long past, and that's the reason why Brandon Williams is still on the street right now. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the fact that they replaced him with a guy like Michael Pierce, who's, you know, still, a, you know, a big run stuffer, but he's shown some more pass rush ability in recent years with, um, with the Minnesota Vikings. So that's why Pierce is here. And that's why I got Isaiah Mack is going to be in demand if he is indeed cut. Yeah. When, when they get Travis Jones back, they might feel like they don't need Mack also. And I think Mack might look ahead to that point and say, okay, they're going to have Travis Jones. And he, yeah, he's a one tech, but he's also going to be on as a three tech on early downs because they want to stop the run. And boy, can that guy penetrate and rush the passer. And even though I've looked like a man among boys in this preseason, he's a, he's a rookie doing the same thing and has looked, looked, you know, very tough. And then you go past that and the guy they probably want on pass rush downs is Matt Abike. So, you know, you're, 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 they're going to want to – they might reduce Matabike's snaps overall. I think that the defensive line is set up to do that. But but in in terms of his importance of his snaps and, you know, when he's on the field, he's going to probably see more obvious passing situations this year, I think, which means there's less of an opportunity for a player like Mac, where that's a lot of what he brings to the field, his ability to really disrupt the passing game. Yeah, yeah, and that, like that was a great point as far as you know, you thinking they kind of going inside his head as far as looking ahead, like okay, yeah, they might have a role for me now, you know, like while while Jones is out, but you know, come week three, come week four, you know, I might be on the back burner or or, or cut candidate, and he could look at that two one of two ways, as you know, like the way we just described, like oh, I'll be chopped liver come week four, or. I can drive up my stock and put some good film out there for some other teams because the Ravens love to rotate your defensive linemen to, to, to the point where, like, even if I am cut or released, you know, I'll be in high demand. I can pick my place or, you know, if he, if he, if he does indeed clear waivers, which I don't think he will because I think he's still on his on his rookie deal, if I'm not mistaken. Like, I'm not, he's not a vested, vested player. I'm sorry, who are we talking about now is, is Mac. Uh, with Mac. Mac yeah. is in his fourth year, so he's out of option value in that sense. They, you can't look forward to control in any future year. But if they cut him, he still has to go through the waiver process this year. So, you know, there's a chance he'd get claimed. He's the kind of, kind of player who certainly could get claimed. And one of the reasons I don't think the Ravens will cut him without trying to trade him is that I think there, there's, a, there's a better chance for him than almost anybody else the Ravens will cut. Maybe Welch, that'd be a slightly better chance. But I think the rest of the players, I think they're, they're all pretty safe. I don't think there's, there's anybody... Uh, I guess maybe I'd have to say Anthony Brown, but more likely that Anthony Brown gets wooed away to another team by the Ben Mason plan than yeah. uh, by the claim directly. Yeah. All right, my friend, outstanding. Always fun to talk football with you, Josh. We could do this for hours, I'm sure. And, and uh, you know, any 30-minute any topic can last an hour and 20 for us. But, uh, but why don't we call it there? Uh, I had some defensive MVPs for the game, but I'll let people just t- look at the article on that. Did you, did you want to call out any? 
Um, like I said, we already talked about my, my guy, Geno Stone. He's just a guy who I feel like, you know, really kind of forced his way onto this roster. And I got a lot of people viewed on the bubble, on bubble coming into the camp. Like, oh, are they going to be able to keep all these safeties? And he's a guy that you really can't, really can't go without, in my opinion. So uh, shout out to Geno Stone. Um, he's, you know, the guy's really shined throughout the preseason. Uh, Josh Ross, a guy who I really like, who, who I thought would have mm-hmm. the edge over the other guys because of his familiarity with Mike McDonald's system. Um, and um, yeah, those those are those are really my two guys that really kind of shine throughout the preseason for me. All right, the two guys I'd add to that are Mac and Jefferson. I also I also would add Welch. Welch came up with a big game at the right time. Certainly deserves credit, and and is he put, he puts stuff on film that is going to get him employed somewhere this year, somewhere this year at some point. Let me put it that way. Okay, yeah. whether that's yeah, in Baltimore, Mac, Mac whether it's somewhere else. Guys too. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about Mac, but yeah, Mac is a guy I was really impressed with too. All right. Outstanding. Always a pleasure, my friend. Tell folks where they can find your work. Oh, yeah. So I write for a new website now, um, Heavy on Ravens. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I recently started contributing for that website. Um, I was really, I'm was i really grateful for, for the time that I spent in Baltimore Beatdown. I still love the, all those guys over there. But I'm excited to um, start this new venture with, with Heavy. So I'm still working, you know, Alaska da- uh, Anchorage Daily News up here in Alaska full time. But um, I'm really excited to um, help build up this thing with um, Heavy on Ravens. So you can check a lot of my work over there at uh, heavyonravens.com. All right. Very cool. Give that a shot, folks. Make sure you give Josh a follow at Josh Reed 907. Uh, that's the 907 area code, just so you could have a little imprinting for, for Alaska. Uh, and you're, you're in Anchorage, of course, Anchorage Daily News. Uh, other folks out there, uh, if you'd like to be on a film study short, uh, c- contact me about this. I'm doing a concerns series right now. Love to hear your non-traditional concern. So something specific that doesn't specifically relate to a position group would be of great interest to me. If you have maybe a scheme that you're concerned about the Ravens not being able to execute with their current roster, that would be kind of an interesting thing to do. Going to do all those before the first game. They all got to air before then. So really, this next week is the time to record with me. Hit me up with a DM on Twitter. They're always open. I'll get back to you right away. Josh, thanks again for coming on, my friend. Always a pleasure to talk football with you. Thanks for having me, Ken. It's always a blast. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com amazing to start your springtime adventure.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.